All right. It says I'm live on YouTube and on Locals. How's everybody doing on Locals? Can you hear me all right? Everybody hear me on YouTube all right? Let's get started off right. What do you say? I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. It's true. I'm not a doctor. That's I have no legal license in any field of psychology. That's also true. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. Believe it or not. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Yep. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. So nice to have you back with me here for the Last Symptom Podcast. And we're doing something kind of experimental tonight, something new. I'm live streaming this to both locals and uh, to YouTube. It's the first time I've ever done this simultaneous thing to, to both, I believe. I see got several people there on locals. How you guys doing? Say something to me so I can see, see if the chat's working there. All right. What I'm going to do is after this live stream, I'm going to use the audio for this, do some editing. All right. Got some folks in here. Excellent. And, uh, and then I'll upload the, the audio to everybody else, but you guys get to be here first. I'm Bonnie. Nice. I'm Bonnie. Very nice to have you here. What do you guys want to talk about this week? So here's the situation. I've, I've just been swamped all week long. And I know I, I sound pretty good right now, but uh, I've been sick as a dog. Had all this phlegm and congestion and everything. And I don't know what happened. Uh, just this afternoon, it kind of slid away. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. But because I'm so far behind on everything, I didn't really get to sit down and do an outline. I've got leftovers here from previous shows that we, you know, things that I had set aside to talk about that we never actually talked about. But what I thought is if I did a live stream and I can interact with you folks, then I could squeak by this week without have, having to uh, necessarily have a really formal, really formal show. And uh, yes, I do have the bourbon poured and ready to go. Looking over here at locals to see if I can I am Bonnie. You want me to share that with the rest of the world? I'm Bonnie on local says that maybe I can talk about the wise words I shared with her this week. That have been life changing. Boy, I got to think about what I told you. <laughs> Let me open up the chat here. See what I see what I told you. Okay. Yeah, I remember our conversation. Our conversation was about. So I'm Bonnie wearing herself ragged she works with children wasn't didn't feel like she was making enough money working with the children but they're children so naturally being the kind-hearted person she is she wants to give all of her time and energy to them and really give them all of her you know 
And uh, that's not a bad quality to have to be self-sacrificing and like a caretaker like that and, you know, want to excel within your responsibilities. And I could identify with her doing that because uh, I used to do that also as an interpreter. Run myself ragged even even when I had the worst possible bosses and they didn't appreciate a single sacrifice I was making for them. So, for example, I think I told you that uh, during my borderline personality disorder crisis when I got fired from a job that I'd had for a long time, um, the the loophole they used to fire me, I was on salary. And so the way that worked was we had an agreement that my normal start time at the hospital was nine o'clock, I think. I was the only interpreter for the entire hospital. So what would happen is if they'd have a surgery or something, they'd try to do those real early in the morning. So usually like around 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, that's quite a bit earlier than my start time. So we had an agreement that if I did surgeries in the morning by the honor system, if I didn't have any patients in an afternoon, uh, I could leave early based on that accumulated quote unquote overtime. You know, uh, I was on salary, so it wasn't really overtime, but after eight hours, you know, whatever hours I had accumulated past like a 40 hour work week that I, that I could just leave early. And so there was one day where I did that and, uh, they used that ultimately to fire me. They said that, uh, I left early and had a patient. Now here's the thing about that. For each patient that I would go to meet, like if they had an appointment, and this was in orthopedics. So I went to orthopedics and I waited, uh, I think, 20 or 30 minutes for my patient to arrive and the patient didn't arrive. And so that was when I left. And they used that to fire me because apparently they said that the, the patient showed up a little bit later. Well, there was always it was always understood that after 15 minutes, my patients were considered no shows and I was to move on to the next patient or go do something else. But you see, how they, they just used that loophole. But I had been killing myself that year, killing myself for them. Going in early, 5.30 in the morning, working until 8, 9 o'clock in the evening. And in, in the end, they end up screwing me over using, using that. Um, but anyway, I, I'm telling this big, long-winded story to get to what I was talking to with I Am Bonnie. You never make yourself the second priority. And we've talked about this before, but, but that's the idea. You never make yourself the second priority. You say, oh, but these kids, I don't care. I mean, I do care, but I don't care if you're, you know, sacrificing your own energy. Let's not even say it that way. What I mean to say, and my daughter's rabbit, she's got a rabbit. And he's just choosing, he's choosing right now to make all the noise in the world. But um, he lives with me. I'm Bonnie says, of course he is. <laughs> well, if it, if it weren't him, there'd be like an ambulance parked outside with who forgot to turn off its siren or a marching band going by or a helicopter hovering overneath over me, I, something. But anyway, what I was trying to get to with I'm Bonnie, the idea is that you don't give other people anything at the expense of your own needs and you, you know, your responsibilities to yourself. So our primary responsibilities are always to ourselves. It, in any situation. Oh, I got Abby over here on YouTube. Hi, Abby. So that's not too hard to understand. You oft, often you hear people talking about this is like the, if you're in an airplane 
and the oxygen masks come down. Whose oxygen mask do you put on first? Your kids or your children, right? You should put on their oxygen mask first. Well, that'd be stupid because you're going to be passed out and dead. And how are you going to help them after you're dead? So the first thing you do is you put on your own oxygen mask. And that's the principle. So I do it in my work here with Last Symptom. Whenever, you know, I'm just one person and we've got a large community. When I start to get exhausted, I, I take care of my own self. Uh, I was just talking about this with the group earlier this week. I may be behind on a lot of things. I don't fail to take time off for myself, relaxation, to watch a baseball game or something, you know. Uh, even though I may have tons of work waiting on me to do and I may be way back on things, me sitting down and allowing myself to watch a baseball game is part of the whole formula. Uh, Joy on Local says this is a helpful reminder. I used to hate that example, putting on your own oxygen mask first. Basically, I wanted to believe I was tough enough to hold my breath. Well, you might be, but the human body is not tough enough to go without oxygen for very long. <laughs> Penny on YouTube says, enjoy wearing this jersey. Astros are going to take the series, though. You know, um, I, I wouldn't bet money that you're wrong, but I still, uh, for those of you who are just listening to the show, I'm all dressed up in Philadelphia baseball gear got my jersey on i got just this hat this hat come in the mail today uh when they won the game the last game the phillies and they were all celebrating you know everybody come out and they come out wearing these hats and i said man those are some sexy looking hats i gotta get myself one of those i jumped on uh, mlb as fast as i could and i managed to get one and then right after that, you couldn't get on the site because I think everybody in Philadelphia was doing the same thing. So that's the story behind that. I'm all I'm, I'm here representing the Phils, the Fightins. And uh, everybody's been saying, hey, I thought you like you like the uh, Red Sox. I do like the Red Sox. I love the Red Sox. I love the Red Sox. I love the Phillies. For you folks who aren't uh, here in the States and maybe not don't know much about baseball. There are two leagues. There's the American League and there's the, Na the National League. Uh, the Red Sox are in the American League and Philadelphia is in the National League. So I have a favorite American League team and I have a favorite uh, National League team. They rarely play against each other during the regular season. So, you know, there's a, there's a possibility, believe it or not, that the Phillies and the uh, Red Sox could could meet up in the World Series one day. Uh, in that case, I don't know who I'd root for. Both, I guess. I'd give myself, I'll cut my uh, Red Sox jersey down the middle and my Phillies jersey down the middle, and I'll just sew it, sew it back together like that and represent both teams. Here, you know, here's the story about baseball. I know I'm getting off topic for emotional health stuff. We'll come back to it. I was living in Philly in 2008, and Diana, my ex-wife, and I were sitting there watching, I think, American American Idol or something like that. Either that or we were watching Lost. Those were two shows that we always watched together. All the, we lived outside of Center City. We lived in uh, Hatboro. And all of a sudden, there was like honking outside and then gunshots and people screaming. And I said, what on earth is going on? 
And uh, she says, I bet you that the Phillies won the World Series. Sure enough, that's what it was. They'd won the World Series and the whole city and the suburbs and everybody was just celebrating. After that, I ended up watching uh, this documentary by Ken Burns called Baseball. And it's all about the whole history of baseball and everything and about how it's, it's all American and, you know, we invented it. It's, it's our sport. You know, so that's why it's called America's Pastime. It's not because it's currently the most watched sport or anything like that. It's, it's that it's purely American. And, you know, there's folks who say, well, it come from these other sports in England and everything. I'm sure it was influenced by it, but it was really invented from scratch, more or less, here in the States and, and a few things borrowed here and there. So that happened in 2008. And then I saw the documentary and that was where I, I'd never liked sports before in my life. But I started thinking, boy, this is this is part of my this is part of my heritage, this is part of my American heritage. And I don't know anything about it. So I need to start learning about it. And I started learning about baseball. And, you know, of course, then my crisis happened, uh, ended up moving to uh, up near Boston. Well, you can't live in that area and not not be exposed to the Red Sox and the games up there. And so it was just kind of like this slow unfolding of things that was drawing me to baseball all this time. And so it was really in New England that I fell in love with baseball, fell in love with the Red Sox, was really watching all the games, really getting into it. But the the Phillies, the Phillies winning the World Series in 2008 was really what started the whole thing. So that's why I'm that's why I'm here. Abby says, thanks for explaining it. What do you have? Uh, what, what's the big sport down there? Abby, you're in Australia, right? And Penny is a big Astros fan. So she's telling me to enjoy this jersey while I can. You'll remember I did an episode of this show featuring Jose Altuve. Hit that big home run. And Altuve for the Astros, just a little tiny guy. Not tiny. He's just short. You know, he, he's all muscle. And, uh, man, that was a that was a play for the century. Well, he's on a – he's not doing anything this season. I mean, he's playing, but he's, he's in a funk. So he hasn't been playing well at all. So I don't know, Penny. Phillies might, might win after all. All right. Back to emotional health stuff. <clears throat> You always got to take care of yourself first. I was going to, yeah, what I was saying to uh, Joy is that you might be able to hold your breath real good. That doesn't mean your body can go without oxygen real good. Uh, Abby says a much tougher, that in Australia, they have a much tougher version of football with no sissy padding like you guys wear. Aussie rules footy in an oval paddock uh you're preaching in the choir abby i don't like football at all I, I i really really don't like american football i don't like the culture around it i don't like anything about it i think it's a really dumb sport and i say that knowing that a lot of people listening might really love football and i'm not trying to insult you that's just uh it's just an example of everybody having their own taste right 
want to thank you guys here on Locals for joining me. I know this was kind of not last minute, last minute, but it wasn't. I didn't give you a whole lot of notice. Same thing goes for you folks there on uh, YouTube. I appreciate you joining me here and uh, allowing me to get a feel for all this. It's uh, I got uh, you fo locals folks there on my iPad and I've got YouTube here on my laptop. So let me share some things with you while you guys, uh, maybe I can stimulate some conversation. Not long ago, somebody was talking about how her experiences with, with her father, she says uh, she'll never forget. And she used some word in here, which really, I'll tell you, I, I like, I really love my interactions with you folks because sometimes you guys put into words, you guys put things into words in a way that fails me, you know, that I, I'm trying to figure out a way to express just, just that thing. And then somebody will come along and say it just, just perfect. And that's what she did here. This was a conversation on locals. She says, uh, she'll never forget these unpleasant memories of her father. She says all the times he made me feel deeply ashamed of how I felt at that moment and feel an even more humiliation showing it. As soon as I read that, I said, that's, that's it. That's it. And I had memories of my dad, three o'clock in the morning, uh, drilling into me, making me feel humiliated for what I was feeling. And heaven forbid I show it. Then I felt even more humiliation. This felt like a total pile of dung, you know, sitting there feeling things, feeling vulnerable, weak, stupid, pathetic, irrelevant, hating that I'd even been born. And then it, then you, and then it comes out. And of course the abuser latches onto that, finds ways to make you feel even more humiliated not only over the fact that you're feeling it, but over the fact that now you're making it visible to the rest of the world. You dumb, worthless person. And so I told her that she put into words my experience perfectly. I think I've mentioned in other aspects of my work that humiliation, and I think you'll remember this back when you've experienced it, is one of those emotions that, you know, when you're not uh, conscious or mindful of what of the things you're feeling, you know, when you're unhealthy, you're kind of like not paying attention to your feelings. I mean, you're experiencing them and everything. You might admit that you feel the basic emotions like I feel sad, I feel happy, I feel mad. But you don't really want to reveal much more than that, do you? And in some cases, you don't even want to reveal that you're sad. Definitely don't want to admit that you're scared, stuff like that, especially in situations where an observer might say, well, that's nothing to be scared of. So this, this humiliation is so terrible. It's such a terrible feeling, but when you're unhealthy, you're really not sitting around analyzing the feelings themselves, right? Isn't that true? When you're unhealthy, 
you're not sitting around analyzing your feelings themselves. What you focus on is the experience, not the feelings. Right? I'm Bonnie says that's true. So think about the fact that you're in that state of mind where you're paying attention to the experience, but kind of disregarding the feeling of humiliation. Now, think about the fact that feeling humiliated when when you live life like that in this kind of disconnected from your feelings type of thing or not analyzing your feelings that the feeling is so bad that human beings naturally will do anything to avoid experiencing it again anything i think about uh like um you know when i was a teenager i touched a I think I've told the story where I was trying to hook up my radio to a, my, my lap switch and it shocked the holy kazoozy out of me. And I, to this day, will not mess around with electricity. I mean, at one time it was so bad, I, it lifted me off the ground uh, feet. And I said, I never again, never again. That's kind of like what the experience of humiliation is like. Once you experience it, it's like getting the crap shocked out of you and you say, I don't want anything to do with that again. And so you kind of unmindful or non-mindfully go about life really doing everything you can to avoid those humiliating circumstances. You guys remember the story way back, I think in the first season where I was playing with my pencil uh, in the grade school, everybody was throwing their pencils up in the air. And I, they were throwing them up in the air and catching them. And I was showing off for the girl sitting next to me, threw my pencil up there and it stuck in the ceiling. And the, I was terrified, terrified. I was asking the guys, please help me get that down. This was in third grade. No, no, you did this. You got yourself into this mess. You can get yourself out of it. Oh man, please don't say anything to the teacher. Mr. Loveless was his name. He come into the classroom and Walked up to the front of the class. The first thing they did, that whole class, Mr. Loveless, Brian stuck his pencil up in the ceiling. And he called me at the front of the class. And I'm telling you what, I had never been in trouble. I wasn't like one of those troubled kids. And uh, got up there and just bawling my eyes out. Well, you know how it feels like to cry in front of your peers. I wanted to die. I wanted to die. I wanted to, I didn't want to die. I just didn't want, I wished I had never been born. That humiliation was just painful. So painful. So it's like getting electric shocks. Uh, you, you, you will do anything from then on to avoid that. And you just think about how that affects you. Abby says, where's my eyeballs here? Abby says at age 50, I'm still unwilling or unable to wear makeup because of a single sentence from my dad where he said something stupidly judgmental you don't want to look like a cheap tart do you yeah and it's still with you all these years later it's amazing i remember i i didn't grow up wearing shorts i mean grew up in the woods so there's briars there's you just don't wear shorts working in the woods. There's snakes and all kinds of stuff. But 
all the guys at school were wearing shorts. Brian, why, how come you never wear shorts? 100 degrees out here. How come you don't wear shorts? I said, I don't know. And first thing I started thinking about was, good God, they're going to talk me into wearing shorts. And it's, they're right. It is hot. It, it would be a lot better wearing shorts. But my legs are so skinny, like little twigs, my legs. And they're white because they never see the sun. I can't do it. I can't do it. Man, they kept harassing me, harassing me. Come on, wear your shorts. And so one day I got up the, the nerve to do it. Got up the nerve to wear shorts. Got to school. Abby asks if there's stinging nettle in the U.S. Yes, there is. Boy, my buddy ran into some. Last time we went on a backpacking trip, it sw swelled him up pretty good. Uh, you can eat stinging nettle. You can make tea out of it. Did you know that? You can make tea out of the leaves of stinging nettle. Got a lot of good uh, nutritional value. So anyway, I go to school. First thing I do, get off the bus, wear no shorts after I've spent forever trying to talk myself in it, into doing it. First thing happens, the guys see me in the shorts and they're like, ah, look at him. Oh, look at how skinny his legs are. So all my fears come come to reality. And that was, that was pretty humiliating. I said, never again, never again will I wear shorts to school. But, you know, here's the thing, and we've talked about this a lot. Why was the only reason that that affected me? The only reason it affected me is because I already disliked myself. If I had not disliked myself, something like that would have passed right over me. Joy says, I've been listening to the fundamentals course again. The chapter about calm assertive communication talks about recognizing what you feel, what you need or want, and communicating directly and clearly without any intention to offend. And you said it's addictive that once you start doing it, you'll want to keep doing it. I didn't even know what I felt or wanted for so many years. It was impossible to do anything but passive aggressive communication. Yeah, you know, um, well, not too long ago, I was talking to Joy and you said, that I should not update the last symptom fundamentals course. And it's, uh, and so now, you know, that I've been doing that updating the whole course, brand new video and audio and everything, and really bringing it up to date, improving the quality of the audio and, and the video. And I hope, I hope that I won't forget that part about it becoming addictive because it is, you see the problem with calm, assertive communication is that when you're brought up unhealthy, you're brought up with people who perceive calm assertive as rude because, and the reason for that is because they interpret some um, sort of judgment in the calm assertive communication behavior style. So for example, um, say I go pick up a buddy. We're going to go on a backpacking trip. We're going to go fishing or something. And he gets in my truck and he goes, boy, your truck's really messy. The unhealthy person, the passive aggressive, the person who's used to passive aggressive communication behavior style. Here's an accusation in that. They hear an accusation in that. But is there an accusation inherent to stating just a, just stating a truth? Your, your truck is very messy. 
Is there any inherent judgment to that? There's no inherent judgment to it at all. But that explains why the unhealthy person takes offense because that's the way they communicate. That's their whole way of communicating is to hide messages in other messages or to hide messages in behavior. So that's exactly how a passive aggressive person would tell you that you're lazy. You're, you're a big Oscar, the grouch, you know, you're, you're big mess. You're, um, irresponsible. They would hide that message in something like that. Boy, your truck's really messy. But healthy people don't do that. Healthy person is just stating a fact. Your truck's messy. I'm not passing any judgment on you at all. I'm just making an observation. So that's why it gets addictive. Because you go, wow, this really works. Now, here's the thing. You will know when you're talking to somebody healthy and when you're talking to somebody not healthy. Because the person who is unhealthy will, will take offense. They, they will view it as you passing, uh, expressing some sort of judgment upon them. The unhealthy person doesn't do that. Do it anyway. Even if people get upset, practice it. And it's so like, I think I've, I mentioned in an episode of the show that the easiest way to start is when somebody states something that you know not to be true, you simply say, nope, that's not true. And unhealthy person might argue, you're saying I'm stupid. You're saying that I'm a liar. No, I didn't say either of those things. Listen, listen to what I'm saying without inserting your own, your own meaning into it. I said that what you said is not true. I know that because I was in France last year and I was over at the Eiffel Tower. And you can go up into the Eiffel Tower. You said that you can't go up into the Eiffel Tower. You can. I was just there. So I'm not, I'm not passing judgment on you. I'm not trying to hide a secret message within that message. I'm simply saying you, what, that what you said is wrong. That's it. And that, that was how I started. So if you wonder, how do you go from living a whole life of this passive aggressive nonsense and move over, practice moving over to the calm, assertive communication behavior style, that's how you do it. In a conversation, you say, no, that's not true. And healthy people go, oh, it's not. Well, what do you know that I don't know? And then you tell them. The unhealthy person will say, well, you, you call me a liar, blah, blah, blah. And they go off on this thing. And then what, what principle do you apply there? Or what law? Law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. You're, you're allowed to feel however you want to feel about this. You're allowed to react to it any way you want. It wasn't my intent to offend you. All the responsibility for this that you're experiencing right now is on you, not on me. I can't make you feel anything. Let's catch up here. Uh, I'm Bonnie says uh, on Locals says when I'm calm, calm, assertive, her family gets very defensive. Yeah, but and but now you know why. It's not because what you're saying is not true. It's not because you've got a message hidden in another message. It's because of the way they communicate, the way they're used to communicating, right? They hide messages in other messages, and they assume that's what you're doing. 
But whose problem is that? Well, it's not your problem. I'm Bonnie on Locals says now that I work with kids, I can see how a lot of adults have not emotionally matured and still think just like children. That used to be me too, she says, and I agree with her. That used to be me as well. Let's go over here to YouTube and see what is being said. Abby, she says, and maybe because you valued their opinions of you? No, well, it's not value, is it? It's desperate need when when you're unhealthy. If I if I'm understanding what you're commenting on correctly, we're talking about placing too much value in what um, in what other people think and stuff. <clears throat> the reason for that is because your value depends on what they think, right? And that goes back to a conversation about inherent worth versus uh, commercial worth. Abby says, part of my ADD, ADHD makes me extra sensitive to perceive judgmental comments. Yes, but that is something that you can reject. That's something you can analyze and reject in the moment, right? Remember that a person who lives with a, with a proper attitude toward human worth particularly their own human worth that that it's inherent to what they are is not at the mercy of what other people think i value other people's feelings and opinions and those sorts of things nowadays why why so let's ask this question what's different in the way that i value people's feelings or let's say um, give value to other people's feelings and thoughts now, right? So we're always talking about it doesn't matter what other people think. But what other people think and how they feel does matter. But in an entirely different sense than an un unhealthy person is used to. The unhealthy person, they place value on what other people think and feel and their opinions. Why? Because when you view yourself as worthless and your value being dependent on what other people think and feel, do you see how you're constantly living life for them? Because all your entire sense of value has to come from them. That's the unhealthy way. What's the healthy? Now, now let's say we go back, we go to me now, now that I no longer have an emotional disorder. And you, you're constantly hearing me tell you, it doesn't matter what other people think. I mean that in the sense of it related to your value or related to your life, your decisions, everything that falls within your inherent rights, responsibility, and authority. What they think and their opinions doesn't matter in that regard. But do I give it value for other reasons? Yes. And what is that other reason? What is the other reason that I would give value to what other people think and feel now that I'm healthy? See if I can see if I can get any folks here to get get it. I'm, I'm paying attention to what you guys are writing. I just 
afraid to lose my thought if I don't uh, follow through on it sometimes. Okay, I'm going to answer the question if I don't see anybody writing anything here in a sec. All right, as a healthy person, the reason why I value what other people think and feel is because it reveals their individuality to me. It allows me to get to know you. So if you have an opinion that's completely opposite of mine when it comes to like how I should live my life, I don't care about that opinion whatsoever as far as it having some influence on how I'm living my life. You know, my thought there is uh, go look in the mirror, pay attention. You got your hands full with your own life. I know you do because it's a full-time job. <laughs> it's a full-time job to be healthy and to be focused on your own life. But it does matter to me. I do give it value in the fact that it reveals something about you to me. Uh, Chris on YouTube. Nice to have you here, Chris. Chris says, thanks so much for the insights, Brian. I found your views on intrinsic value very helpful and always find your views interesting. Well, thank you, Chris. And I appreciate that wording very much because it, it leaves open the possibility that you may not perfectly agree with me on everything, but you still find them interesting. I appreciate that. As long as you find them interesting and it gives you something to think about, I mean, that, that's better than what a lot of people give me. So I, I appreciate that. I am Bonnie says, because you're demonstrating empathy. Yeah, but also I'm demonstrating respect. Respect for you as an individual. You see, when we're unhealthy, remember the, the very foundation of emotional disorder makes it imp, makes it impossible for us to value people as people. Why is that? We don't even understand how value works, right? We view our, our own value as being dependent on what other people think. So when we look out at everybody else, what do we view their value based on? What everybody else thinks. You remember that kid in school nobody wanted to be friends with? You, you might have taken pity on the guy, but if you would have befriended him, let's say that uh, you were starting to get up, you know, climb the social ladder uh, in school, and you befriend this kid that nobody else likes, and now all the progress you've made, all the friends you've started to make, start pulling away from you. Oh, we don't want anything to do with you. You're making friends with this guy. Because your worth depends on what everybody else thinks, what do you do? You pull away from the nerd, don't you? And you you join right in. Oh, yeah, he's in. In fact, when you're talking to your friends, you're probably talking down about the kid. Oh, what's his problem? Because you're not willing to risk your own sense of worth for this other kid, right? So that's an example of how, we've, how we view our own worth, the very nature of it, where it comes from, where it's born, and it depends on what everybody else thinks. You look out at other people, you apply that same rule to them. And then that's how that, that uh, manifests, is that you, you view also their worth as being dependent on what everybody else thinks.
You see it on the internet today, right? Uh, whoever's cool in the moment, everybody loves them, don't they? So why does this person who's so cool in one moment get rejected by everybody in the very next? Are they rejecting him because they just hate him or they hate her? Or, or, or are they looking around at what all their peers are saying and how they feel about it and imitating that? Basing their own view of that person's worth based on what everybody around says. Which one do you see more? Interesting, isn't it? Tall poppy syndrome, Abby says. What's the what's the tall poppy syndrome, Abby? I've never I've not heard that term. When someone famous makes a mistake and goes from here to zero. I, I had not heard that term. I wonder if that's uh, uh, unique to Australia. Tall poppy syndrome. And it describes it. But what are you, what are you viewing there? I mean, what, what are we observing there when that happens? When a person goes from here to zero? I've heard other terms for it. I think the term I hear a lot of, of about it on social media like Twitter is... Um, what do they, how do they refer to it? They call it following the tribe, following the tribe. And a lot of people want to ascribe that to just like normal, healthy human behavior, like some evolutionary thing. I don't buy that. I don't buy that that's healthy or normal. I think that's just an unhealthy quality that unhealthy people have is that they observe other people hurting instinct. Yeah, Chris. That's another way I've heard of it. Following a tribe, herding instinct, those sorts of things. Fundamentally unhealthy. Emotional health is independence. Being, being satisfied with your own conclusions. Not caring what other people think in that way. Caring about it in the sense that, well, it tells me things about you. I, and I'm interested in viewing you as an individual, as a, as a person. Not as a, some inanimate object or an NPC, right? You're a real person to me. So yeah, I would, I would like to know your opinions and stuff for that reason. But as far as um, my own security with arriving at my own conclusions and everything and my likes and dislikes, I remember when I was unhealthy, I didn't know what my likes or dislikes were. I mean, be, beyond drawing cartoons, reading comic books, some of these really basic things, but um. You know, here's an example. So earlier we were talking about how I hate uh, American football. Do you know that in my teens, I felt so much pressure, everybody around me, always talking about football, football season, the Super Bowl, all this stuff, that I, I lied. I lied and said I, that I liked football for years. Watched games, sit there pretending, lying to myself even. Oh, I love this. I love this. Didn't, uh, didn't love it. <laughs> the truth. I mean, looking back at it now, I remember I did not love it. I never loved it. Never at all. Did I love it? But it, that's the same thing. It was just, I don't have my own identity because I'm not allowed to like what I like, dislike what I dislike. I have, because that's not how worth works. Worth 
is based on what everybody thinks. So I'm constantly looking around trying to see the things that people like the most and like those things. Oh, how different life is now. How different life is now. It's it's a wonderful thing to be able to say, I'm glad that you love football. I hate it. <laughs> I really don't like it. It's so liberating. I do care about your opinions and your feelings and everything as far as like what it reveals to me about you and you as an individual. But um, I don't base what I like on what you like. Right. I, I, I'm an individual, too. I grant you that to you. But primarily, I grant it to myself first. And so I like what I like. And I don't care if you like it or not. Um, let's see here. Let me tell you folks there on uh, Locals that we've got about seven minutes, a little less than seven minutes. And uh, so you may want to switch over to YouTube once it, it, you know, once our time runs out on Locals. We'll go a little bit longer and I think we'll, we'll be able to splice together a pretty good show out of this. I am Bonnie, says I have a question about children. Do healthy parents validate every single feeling they possibly have? For example, sometimes they are crying just for attention or because they don't want to listen. And sometimes the crying is very loud and obnoxious. Um, okay, does anybody else see the problem right here? Right here with that, that uh, I am Bonnie is making. There's a logical fallacy happening right here. There you go. Anna got it. Anna made the distinction that I am Bonnie is failing to make. And that's not a judgment on you, by the way. I am Bonnie. Hi, Anna. Is crying a feeling or a behavior? Uh, I am Bonnie asks. Crying is a behavior. Feeling sad is a feeling. And they're not one and the same. So to observe a child crying and to equate the crying as being the same as the feelings that the, the child is feeling is a, is a mistake. It's a, it's a serious mistake. I am Bonnie says her mind's blown. Yeah. You know, um, to a lot of people watching this or, or listening to this, they'd say, well, that's so obvious. No, it's not obvious. Not when you're unhealthy, not when you're unhealthy. It's not until you have somebody help you make these distinctions. It, it's not obvious because that's just not the way unhealthy people are raised. Unhealthy, unhealthy people are raised equating things as being the same inappropriately. Like, like I used to do. I used to judge my feelings as me having done something wrong. You see, in this case... In this case, what I am Bonnie is doing is she's equating the behavior as the same as the feeling. And what got me, my big, one of my big epiphanies was realizing that what I'm feeling is not a behavior. That was, that blew my mind when I realized that things I feel is not the same as me having done something wrong. So I've used the example of like, what if I'm lusting after my best friend's mother? which I did do, by the way. I mean, I was a teenager. We, we all do that. 
But what if I'm, I'm lusting, I'm feeling lustful feelings after my best friend's mother? Well, man, I just felt terrible about myself about that. Felt terrible about that. As if I had already done something wrong. But is feeling lust doing a thing? No. <laughs> doing, uh, yeah. <laughs> Joyce says, don't tell me that. She's got a bunch of teenage boys. Sorry to tell you, Joy. They're, they're going through a lot of tissue paper when they leave your house. Let me see here. Polly, so nice to have you here. Um, Polly says, I used to think love was a feeling. Blew me away to learn it as an act. There you go. This is a really, I mean, there's a lot to talk about this as far as emotional health goes and escaping emotional disorder. These distinctions uh, where we confuse feelings as other, you know, we, we just, we don't understand the nature of them. We don't make distinctions, proper distinctions between the nature of different things. And that's a good example, Polly. I appreciate that. I'm glad to, I'm glad to see you here. Uh, you know, love involves feelings, right? I, I think you probably heard the episode where I talked about that. And I used the example of morir soñando, this drink in the Dominican Republic, which is a mixture of orange juice and milk. And I think sugar, sugar cane. You say, well, boy, this is delicious. What is it? You wouldn't say it's milk. And you wouldn't say it's orange juice. You'd say it's morir soñando. It does contain those things. It does contain milk and it does contain orange juice, but it's not just those things in itself. And that's, that's like love. It does involve very strong feelings, but as a result of a developed quality, right? I'm glad that you brought that up. Penny says that uh, one, one of my son's friends told me once he had a crush on me when he was a teenager. Uh, he was telling you that because he still has a crush on you. Uh, a little, little insider's uh, tip there. If somebody comes up to you and says, boy, I used to have a crush on you. What they're saying is that I, I've had a crush on you for a really long time still. I'm Bonnie says no idea how to chat on YouTube. Uh, there should be a thing underneath. It says, uh, like a chat button. Yeah. We're down to the, like the last minute and on locals and what's been happening on locals is that it cuts out like a minute early. Sometimes it cuts out many minutes early. So, uh, once again, for you guys on locals, you might want to switch over to YouTube here. Mm. I am Bonnie. Are you Madame Lulu on YouTube? Chris says, I find that with borderline personality disorder, there's a lot of failure to distinguish between internal states and external circumstances. It's strange to admit, but I wasn't really able to do this only with mindfulness. Chris, if you can think up a good real life example to share with us so that I can get a better understanding of, of what you're saying. Okay. I am Bonnie from now on is Madame Lulu over on YouTube. She's moving over from locals to YouTube because her students call her that. And it looks like we're down the last 20 seconds on locals. So I'll be switching my attention all the 
completely over to the YouTube crowd. The Last Symptom by Brian Barnett on YouTube. Subscribe if you're not subscribed. All right. You YouTube folks have my complete and undivided attention now. Polly says that in relationships, I didn't feel loved. So they didn't love me. Black or white thinking had me in a box. But Brian, what is the feeling that goes with love? Um, there's, so I've done two, two, I think pretty good episodes about love. One of them is called the five facets of love. So it talks about love as being like a, a gemstone, you know, a facet are the cuts in the gemstone. So if you think about love like that, you don't, the thing about a gemstone is that all of the facets, all of the cuts make, make the whole, right? So with love, there's multiple things that have to be combined for it to exist. Uh, feelings that you'll feel when you're feeling love is, is affection, right? But you can have affection without having love. Love is a principled thing that uh, also depends on things like uh, patience. It depends on, uh, patience is a big one, if you think about it. So can you have patience um, and, and not have love? Yes. But can you have love and not have patience? No. Love cannot exist without patience. But patience can exist without love. Um, mildness. Mildness is another quality of love. Can you be mild um, and not love a person? Like, you know, Polly, you and I had never met, but I might be very mild with you and patient with you. It doesn't mean that I'm in love with you. On the other hand, if I am in love with you, it absolutely requires patience and mildness. And, you know, when you look at unhealthy families, you see not, none of these qualities. And, the, and yet they say, we love each other all, you know, we, we fight like cats and dogs. We treat each other like dirt, but we love each other. No, you don't. No, you don't. Let's see what Chris says here. Um, and I didn't really answer Polly's question. Her question is what feeling goes with love? Well, I, th I did kind of answer it. Affection is a big one. It, depending on the type of love, you might experience lust, right? But then again, we do that conversation. Let's see here. So can you have lust without love? The answer is yes. I was lusting after my best friend's mom when I was a teenager. I didn't love her. I just wanted to bang the living daylights out of her. But in a rom romantic relationship, right, if you're romantically in love with somebody, this is unbelievable. I look like an old man when I do this. I don't know how to operate this daggum technology. Hey, uh, Polly, I know it was probably a slip of the tongue for you to call people borderlines, but I like to make a dis I don't like to use that terminology because it equates the disorder that a person has with what they are. So there's there's just normal people with an emotional disorder, but you know, they can get rid of the emotional disorder. You can't change who you are. 
that's why it's important to make that distinction. It, 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 it gives you the right idea in your head about the very nature of the disorder. Is it something I just, I have that I can get rid of, or is it, is it what I am? But the rest of your question is, uh, do people with borderline personality disorder ever truly love or be loved? No, they don't. Now there's a, there's a loophole. The loophole is rid yourself of the borderline personality disorder, and then you can. But if you rid yourself of the borderline personality disorder to, so that you can love, you're not a person with borderline personality disorder loving and being loved, are you? You're, you're a person without borderline personality disorder loving and being loved. So the answer is that people with borderline personality disorder are not capable of loving or being loved. But a person without the disorder is, and borderline personality disorder is curable. A person can rid himself or herself of it. So that is important to understand. You do the work, get rid of the disorder. Nothing's stopping you from experiencing genuine love. But the, the very, you, have you heard the expression, you can't love others if you don't love yourself? What is the fundament, what is at the fundamental root of borderline personality disorder? Uh, a loathing of oneself, a dislike of oneself. So do you see how the very disorder itself, the very thing that makes it what it is, disallows loving yourself? And if you can't love yourself, you can't love others. Why? Because you don't view yourself correctly. You don't view other people correctly. You, which, which means that you generate or you can't develop the qualities that love requires. So let me catch up to what Chris is saying here. He, he, I asked for an example and he gave us one. So an example would be if a relationship is going badly during a splitting episode, the state of mind goes very quickly to the universe is against me and punishing me. Poor distinction between the external state, the internal feeling can lead to a fusion of the two. It ties in a little with what you were saying about constantly having to need to read the room in order to fulfill other people's expectations. Yeah, uh, we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, a person who has an emotional disorder, remember how earlier we were talking about how people read judgment into just a statement of fact, like a guy gets into my truck, he goes, boy, your truck's messy. And because I'm unhealthy, I read judgment in it. I, I hear judgment in it. Oh, he's, he's saying I'm lazy. He's saying I'm irresponsible. He's saying all these things. He didn't say any of that, did he? He didn't say any of that. One of the reasons why I hear that, though, those messages that he did not even say, is that, one, I'm used to passive-aggressive communication behavior in my own life. So that's the way I communicate and behave with people. But there's the second reason, and the second reason is that I hate myself. Now, when we talk about a person not liking himself or herself, or we talk about a person not viewing himself as having inherent worth, it's the same as saying I hate myself. <clears throat> because 
when you view yourself as not having inherent worth, meaning you don't view your, yourself as being the thing that has worth, what, what else does that mean? It means you view yourself as worthless, devoid of worth. How people and view things that are devoid of worth. I mean, I have to pick up dog crap out there in my backyard. How do you think I feel about that dog crap? You think I pick it up and cuddle it and sing to it and read it poems? No, I, I despise I hate that I have to do that job. So that's how we feel about everything we view as worthless. It, you can't view something as worthless and at the same time feel affection for it or have some kind of like for it. You don't. It, it, it's, that is completely contrary to how, the, how we work as people. When we view something as worthless or you know, as not having worth, we loathe it. We don't like it. We despise it. it we, we hate that it's even in our lives. So I just wanted to clear that up. There's no such thing as like, for example, I just view myself as without worth, but I don't hate myself. There's no such thing as that. If you view yourself as not having worth, which is the same as saying I don't have inherent worth, you don't just dislike yourself. You hate yourself. You loathe yourself. I really like that word loathe because when I tap back into memories of being there, that's exactly it. I was walking around with complete loathing for myself all the time. Any sense of I'm great was very uh, flimsy and temporary and based on very superficial things that might change the very next day. So I might have moments where I can lie to myself and say, boy, I'm great. I'm really great. But that's not the the underlying view that I have of myself. The underlying view of, that I have of myself is that I'm, I'm worthless. I hate myself. I loathe myself. Why can't I be somebody else? So to get, that's, you know, I'm getting windy, but to get to your answer, to the answer, the, a person who is in that state of mind, so viewing themselves as worthless, loathes themselves, when they're going about in life, what are they waiting for all the time? They're waiting for it to be confirmed to them. So if you, if you, to help you understand that, if you flip that around, if you, if you truly believe that you're just great and wonderful, then what are you looking for to be confirmed every time you're walking around about in the world? You're looking for that to be confirmed. You're looking for you to walk down the street and people are like, Hey, Brian, how you doing? Hey, boy, I can't believe it's you. Little kids running up to me on the sidewalk. Can I get your autograph? Things like that. Right. The very opposite of that is you're walking down the sidewalk. You view yourself as a piece of horse papui. Now, what are you always expecting and waiting to be confirmed that you're a piece of horse papui? And so when you get a message that is innocent, there's a filter that it's passing through. And what's that filter? The filter is I am worthless. So how are you going to interpret, if you can, any message that can, can even slightly be interpreted negatively? You're going to interpret it as confirmation that you are worthless. Chris, did that address the thing? I, I went all over the place there. But I was trying to paint a full picture of the thing. 
And I hope I just didn't throw out too much. You let me know. Polly says, never let the labels get you. Thanks. Don't have a clue who I am. And that's seriously depressing at 50 years old. I'm working on it. Thanks for your input. You're a man of knowledge. I respect that. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Polly. I'm more, I'm a man of experience. I just, I just experienced the same thing. And then, you know, so one of these days you'll, you'll be doing this too. I don't know if you'll be doing shows on YouTube or anything, but you'll be, you'll be helping people who you, who you see are in pain. It, it's just the, the nature of the thing, right? It, you can't look at a suffering person and not offer insights that you've gained from your own experience. It just doesn't feel right. Chris says, yes, absolutely. And very profoundly, I think. Okay, good. Simplify, simplify it in your mind. And the way I do it is I try to picture the natural unraveling of things, how they're all related. So if you think about how it starts, it all starts off with, I don't view myself as having inherent value. What does that naturally lead to? Well, you know, and, and we've had that conversation too. There, there's two forms of value in life. There's the commercial value system that applies to things like cars and even diamond rings. I was just talking to somebody earlier today. I, I asked him, you go to buy a diamond ring and it's worth $4,000, you know, quote unquote worth $4,000. Why is it worth $4,000? Is it because of what it is? And the answer is no. The diamond ring itself does not generate value. So where does the value come from? Where does the value come from if the ring itself is not generating any value? So it might cost $4,000. It's still worthless. You understand that? Why is it still worthless? Because it's not generating its own value. Where's the value coming from? Where's the value for a diamond ring coming from? It's coming from people wanting it. That's where it's coming from. So the ring is worth $4,000, not because the ring itself, the diamond ring, is producing the value or generating it itself. The value is not emanating from the ring itself. The value is being granted to the ring. How? By people wanting it. What happens if nobody wants it? It's worthless, but the, even that is does not tell the whole story. The whole story is that it's worthless no matter what. Because if the value is coming from outside of it and being granted to it, and it's not generating any value itself, where is the value? So the value is not in the ring. Where is the value? The value is in what people think. So even if you want to pay $4,000 for the ring, and even if everybody wants it, the ring is still worthless. Now we go to a banana. Why is a banana different than a diamond ring? Let me ask this question. Why is the diamond ring worthless 
And why is the banana not worthless? The banana is not worthless because of what it is. So that's an important distinction to make. In the two value systems, in the commercial value system, the thing's worth comes from people wanting it, what people think. In the inherent value system, the value does not come from what people think. C says it got vitamins. <laughs> You're right. You're right. In the inherent value system, the thing itself is what generates the value. It doesn't matter what people think. The value is not coming from outside and being granted to the thing. The thing itself is providing value. So in the case of a banana, a banana is valuable, has value because of what it is, not because of people liking it. it rep, it's got vitamins, like C says. It's, it's the potential that it represents for all life. Now, you, you and I, all of us here in this, uh, in this live stream, we all go to a nursery, a baby's nursery. And we look in at the babies. And I say, you know what? We should find the ones in here that are worthless and just get rid of them. Just throw them out. So help me do that. Oh, doesn't your heart break even imagining that? But do you remember what we said about the banana? We said it has value because of what it is. What if nobody likes the banana? Nobody wants to eat the banana. What does the banana still have that makes it valuable? So nobody eats the banana. Nobody likes bananas. Nobody wants the banana. Why is the banana still valuable? Why does it still have great value? C said because it got vitamins, right? But if nobody's eating the vitamins, how does it still have value? One word. Chris asks a good question. We'll answer that in a question. We'll answer that in a second. For now, let's stick with this question here. Why, even though it got vitamins, if nobody wants to eat that banana, Abby just answered it. The banana's potential. Potential is the word. Potential. So now back to the, the nursery. We're all standing there looking at these babies. And I say, throw out the ones that are just worthless. Just throw them out. Why can we not do that? What does every baby... Now, let me ask you this. When we're there looking at the babies and we're admiring the babies, can they do anything for us? Like, can I take one of them home with me and have it change the channels on my TV or program my VCR? <laughs> Boy, that's a 90s statement. There's a, I, I time traveled for a second back to the 90s. Um, can I have it take the trash out for me? No, those babies can't do anything for me. They can't do anything for me. Literally nothing. They can't do anything for me. In fact, it's the opposite. I have to give up my life to take care of it. So if the baby can't do anything for me at all, 
And I have to literally set aside my own preferences and my own life to take care of it. Why does it have value? Abby answered it. The potential that that baby represents. The potential. Things that people are, have, are capable of that nothing else in the universe is capable of. Now, as I was talking to this uh, fella earlier today, you might believe in aliens on other planets, and, and you're free to do that. But that's a, that's a belief based on complete blind faith, because nothing, nothing in science has even come close to showing that there's anything other out there like us. And when we get done with this live stream, you can look it up, that the human brain is the most complex thing in the entire universe. So all those babies represents potential. You have tremendous potential. All of us as humans have tremendous potential that nothing else has. has. Uh, no other creature possesses, no other thing possesses. The rabbits. The rabbit's name is Humble, by the way. When I'm not working, I open up the door there and I let him hop around. Humble hops around and he explores all around here. In fact, I was recording something, trying to sing a really serious, sad song. And then I, when I was looking, I was watching the video back. There goes Humble, the rabbit, just hopping in the background, completely ruining my vibe, my serious vibe, video bombing me. So I went on to talk about iPhones with this feller. I go into uh, the Apple store and I say, hey, uh, I know these iPhones do a lot of stuff. And they say, yeah, that's why if you want this one, it's $1,000. I say, yeah, I, I know that, but <clears throat> I'm only going to use it to make phone calls, I swear. So um, because the phone does lots of things, is there some kind of like agreement that I can sign that I'm only going to use it to make phone calls? And if I sign that agreement, surely you can sell it to me for, um, let's say, $20, $30. The guy at the Apple store would laugh in my face. Why? Because it doesn't matter if I use what the Apple phone can do or not. The reason it costs so much is because it can do those things if it wants. If I want it to do those things, it has the capacity to, to do those things. So that's true with people too. We have uh, capacities that are just built into us. And it doesn't matter if you ever become a famous musician or write the great next great American novel or, or you know, um, create a cure for cancer. It's all the capacities that you do possess that makes you so valuable. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to capacities like our capacity to, to care th about things like justice. Do you, th as much as I love my dog, he has no sense whatsoever of justice or of morality or of the future. The, and these are not just things that he's just not trying hard enough with. Like he's not just try. if he tried harder, he could be a, you know, he could, he could contemplate the past. He could write me a poem. 
that talks about the the condition all dogs are living with. It's not that he's just not trying hard enough. It's that no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't do it. It really is useful to to sit around and contemplate how unique human beings are. We're the only thing in the physical universe that uh, is even capable of some of the things, some of the most subtle things that we take for granted. Like, for example, do you know why grass is green and the sky is blue? Do you know that not even your dog can appreciate that the grass is green and the sky is blue? Do you know that even songbirds cannot appreciate the songs they're singing? They don't sit around thinking, boy, this is beautiful. They don't. A butterfly does not know how beautiful it is. Not even its partners, its mating partners, know how beautiful they are. They might, by instinct, be drawn to them, but they're not sitting there appreciating the beauty of the, butter, uh, of the wings and all that. So why is the grass green and the sky is blue? And why are human beings almost uh, completely unique in the fact that we can see and appreciate those colors? I, I just gave it away. <laughs> we can appreciate it. We can appreciate the colors. Dogs don't see in colors because they would, they're not capable of appreciating it, even if they did. Abby says, uh, don't turn humble into a humble pie. <laughs> um, that name come by. I have, uh, humility is my favorite, is my personal favorite human quality. Um, so let's see. I was asking about love. Uh, humility, you know, is related to love, Polly, if you're still here. And humility has always been one of my favorite qualities. Uh, that's why it was so hurtful to me. When I was, um, it's still kind of hurtful when folks interpret the nature of how I am and they go, oh, he's so, he's so full of himself. He's so arrogant. It's my least favorite quality, arrogance, haughtiness, my least favorite qualities. My favorite quality is humility. And I don't always achieve it, but I'll tell you, when I meet humble people, I really, I really love that quality. And I try to really try to develop it in my life. So especially when I had borderline personality disorder, uh, you know, like my insecurities, my insecurities would translate into like a stiffness and like a not, you know, kind of uh, a really controlled presentation for the world. And so like, if I go into a bar or something like that, I'd be very, I'd be, first of all, I'd be playing an act. Like, yeah, look how cool I am. And then on the other hand, I'd be so scared to death that everybody's going to figure out how worthless I am. And so you, you got to really pl play it, right? And so folks would would see that. And then a lot of people would walk away thinking, wow, he's just so full of himself. And I, I really hated that. I mean, I just, I, I, I do not like arrogant people and I don't like that quality of arrogance. So, but anyway, humility is my, my, probably my favorite quality. And, um, 
I had a rabbit back in my early 20s. I named her Humble. So when my daughter's begging to get this rabbit, she said, what should I name him? He has the, the ears like this. And that's what my rabbit named Humble had. So I said, what do you think about Humble? Oh, I love that name, Daddy. And so it was settled real quick. Well, folks, we are at an hour and a half. I think we got plenty here to make a show out of. What do you think? Any Anything else anybody wants to throw in here at the last minute? I got to say, I really appreciate y'all joining me and making this a success. I, uh, I was kind of at a loss and I didn't want to skip a week. So I'm very glad that y'all joined me. You're welcome, Abby. Chris, I really appreciate it. It was a real pleasure. I love seeing new names that I, of people that I don't remember interacting with before. It really spices up things. Um, so I'll start the music here. Get this thing ready. I got to spend the next uh, oh, probably hour or so editing the audio of this. And to do that, I have to wait until it finishes processing on YouTube so that I can then download it, work with the audio a little bit, and upload that for everybody. So good night. Have a wonderful weekend. Do something nice for yourselves.